Dear friends, we, we look at the world around us, don't we? We see so much turmoil, so many problems, so much heartbreak, so much anguish, so many opinions, but so few answers. I wanted to ponder this morning, what is the biggest problem that humanity faces? What is it that we need to solve above all other problems and dilemmas? If you talk to some people in Brighton and elsewhere, they would tell you the biggest problem is climate change. We need to take radical action to save the planet and save humanity from certain apocalyptic destruction. Many people would buy into that. Many people would say that's urgent. We need to deal with this. Other people would talk about poverty. They would say, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty that so many people in the world still suffer, still lack the most basic essentials of life. Other people, um, you can find all kinds of stuff on the internet, are concerned about a new kind of arms race with artificial intelligence and warped use of technology. People are concerned about this and say this is a big problem that humanity will need to face. Other people would say, well, look at the events around us in all kinds of countries. The problem is terrorism and extremism. We need to deal with this. This is urgent if we're to survive as a species. On a more local level, think about your life. Think about the lives of people that you care about, people that you encounter at work, people in your family. What concerns them? What preoccupies them? You can think of a whole myriad of things, can't you? So relationship problems, financial worries, family problems, exams, building a career, bad health. These, these are the kinds of things that trouble people and take their peace and fill their minds and fill their days and fill their lives. But I'd like to put it to you this morning, dear friends, that the biggest problem that every single person faces, without exception, is this. Is that one day all of us, each of us, will die. Each of us, without exception, one day will come to the end of our lives. For some of us it might be in a, in a care home, surrounded by loved ones at a ripe old age. 110, get your telegram from the Queen or whatever you get these days. Some people, it might be your life might be cut short tragically when you're much younger. I've mentioned it before, when I was at college, one of my um, course mates died at the age of 18. He crashed his car on the way to college. Heard it on the radio, announced. Someone wiser than me once called death the great misfortune or the greatest misfortune. The greatest tragedy that anybody can face. Death is inevitable. It's going to happen whether we like it or not. We can't stop it. People spend an absolute fortune, don't they, on products and treatments to try to prevent the inexorable kind of movement of age. I even heard yesterday this kind of the, the Botox industry, plastic surgery. It's a massive, massive industry. 
think in America it's worth billions and billions of dollars, this idea that we can try to halt the decline, to try to prevent aging and death. But of course, it's a losing battle, isn't it? Now, you might think this is a bit morbid this morning, but let's, let's grapple with reality this morning. Each one of us is going to face this at some point. And death, of course, is impartial. It takes rich and poor, young and old, rich, you know, as um, male and female, black and white, everybody, everybody faces this. Sigmund Freud wrote this, very intelligent man, he wrote this, finally there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy has been found, nor probably ever will be. I think many people would agree with him. Death is a riddle, it's painful, and they would agree that no remedy has been found. Friends, if death is the great misfortune, if death is the great ending of all our hopes, isn't the most precious thing that you could offer somebody a remedy for death? You couldn't buy that with money, could you? That would be absolutely priceless, a remedy Something that would stop death or take away the sting of death, the power of death, the fear of death, the effects of death. People would be clamoring to buy this. They would give all their money to to obtain this thing. Does it exist? This Easter, we've been going out, giving out these, these flyers in the street. It's got six words on it. Jesus is risen from the dead. I don't know, I can't see inside people's homes, but I imagine people pick this up, they, they sneer and they raise their eyebrows and they toss it into the recycling as though it were a kind of pizza menu or some kind of, you know, other piece of junk mail. Those words trip off the tongue, don't they? Jesus is risen from the dead. I remember um, when I was a younger man in, in Ukraine at Easter, going to the Orthodox Cathedral, absolutely full of People at Easter, you know, midnight and Easter, worship, well, worshiping, chanting, praying, and saying these words to each other. Well, the next day, Jesus is risen from the dead, and of course, the reply is this: He is risen indeed. Fine words, they trip off the tongue. But friends, these are the most potent words. These are the most precious words. These are the most glorious words. These are the most subversive words. And in these words, dear friends, is encapsulated the remedy for death. The only remedy. There's none other given to people, but only this. Jesus is risen from the dead. Do you believe that in your heart, that Jesus is risen from the dead? Do we understand the the implications of this? In today's Bible reading, we see the Apostle Paul teaching about why it's so important for anybody who is going to die at some point, which is all of us. Dear friends, the remedy for death is not found in medicine. It's not found in philosophy. It's not found in science. It's not found in false religion. But it's found in a man. The only man who rose from the dead in this way, Jesus Christ, our Saviour. first question about the resurrection always has to be this did it really happen 
It's a natural question, isn't it? People say, well, you know, can you really expect me to believe that this man, this Jewish carpenter, actually rose from the dead, came alive again? Paul, the Apostle Paul, is an eyewitness of this. He insists that this is true. That it is actually a fact, a historical fact, that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's look at the passage together. So, I haven't done the whole section. I've just picked out a small portion of it this morning. Because I wanted to look at this in detail, or some detail. I think Phil covered this last week. So, verses 1 to 11. Paul talks about the gospel. He reminds the, the, the Christians at Corinth about the message that was preached to them. He says here, look, I want to remind you, verse 1, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And in verse 3, I, for, for what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. He says this, By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Verse 2. Otherwise you have believed in vain. The gospel of Jesus Christ contains a large part of this gospel is the truth that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not some peripheral thing. It's absolutely essential and crucial in understanding the gospel. The message of the Lord Jesus. Notice how Paul, he says this is of first importance, this is vital, that you believe this and understand this. In fact, they had received this, and they had accepted this. Jesus makes a, makes a big thing, doesn't he, about this, this thing that Jesus was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and Phil talked about this last Sunday night. And Paul talks in his first section, verses 1 to 11, about the very many people, the eyewitnesses, who had seen the risen Lord Jesus. Dear friends, it's very important to remember the Christian faith that we believe in is not based on fables. It's not based on fantasy, on myths and legends. It's actually based on historical facts and eyewitnesses. Numerous Christians have gone to their deaths, and even these first Christians declaring, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and I would rather be burned alive or tossed to the lions in the Colosseum then give up and turn away from this fact, this truth that I proclaim, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So Paul gives compelling evidence. So maybe you're a skeptic and you say, well, I can't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It sounds too preposterous. I encourage you to go back to the eyewitnesses. Of course, that won't be enough to convince you. It needs to be a work of the Lord in your heart to reveal this to you. But look at the evidence. I think it's extremely compelling. I believe this with all my heart. These, these, these facts are trustworthy and true. The Corinthian Christians had accepted this. They believed this. Look at verse 11. Paul says this. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. The gospel, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, they'd accepted this. So far, so good. But it seems the problem the Corinthian Christians were facing is that some of them had been confused about the resurrection. Now we're talking here not about Christ's resurrection, but about the resurrection 
of Christians in the future when the Lord Jesus comes again. Look at verse 12. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? I don't think it's really clear how they understood all this, but it appears there were some false teachers in the Corinthian church. Isn't it funny how the, how the false teachers get in, twisting the message and sowing confusion in the hearts of people? The false teachers come in and they say, well, what are you talking about? A future resurrection when the Lord Jesus comes again. There's no such thing. So some of them may have been saying, well, the resurrection has already taken place. So don't expect a bodily resurrection. Your body won't be raised on the last day. The resurrection is only a spiritual resurrection. And that happened when you were born again. When you became a Christian, you, you, you know, received the Holy Spirit, and that was the only resurrection you can expect. There won't be any more resurrection after this. Just a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection. Remember the Sadducees that Jesus had so much trouble with. They didn't believe that there was any life after death. They didn't believe there was a resurrection. They believed that this life was all there was. When you died, that was it. It's quite possible that some of this had crept into the church. But it's even more, more likely that the Greek philosophy had entered the church because the Greeks believed that the body, the flesh, was corrupt. And therefore, all that mattered was the spirit, the soul of a person. And therefore, it was, it was wrong to think, according to them, that there could be a bodily resurrection. The body had to be dispensed with. All that mattered was a spiritual kind of ethereal resurrection in the future. But the Greeks didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. Remember when, when Paul was in Athens, he talked about the resurrection of the dead, Jesus, and they mocked him and they scoffed. They didn't believe in any kind of resurrection. So we don't exactly know what these false teachers were teaching, but in any case, they didn't believe there would be a future bodily resurrection of Christians. And Paul takes great pains in this passage to point out to them how utterly illogical this point of view was. It was a heresy. It's false teaching. It had to be called out for what it was. Paul talks about the contradictions, the the implications of this okay so you don't believe there's any resurrection of the dead but you do you claim to believe that jesus rose from the dead let's look at this let's 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 work through the contradictions of this let's look at the implications of it and today i want to to mention to you five implications that paul brings out says okay you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead let's look at what this actually means for you in your christian life so these these are the, the things that paul lists here number one if Jesus, if the dead are not raised, the apostles' preaching and their hearers' faith is useless. Number two, the apostles are false witnesses about God. The third consequence is this Christians are still in their sins. The fourth is this Christians who have died, who have fallen asleep, have, are lost forever. And the fifth implication of not believing this is that Christians are to be pitied more than any other person alive, more than any other people alive. And this morning, in this short time we have together, I want to to draw upon these implications and say to you, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, what does it actually mean? We believe that he has been, but if we are to believe that he hasn't been raised, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for our Christian lives? But let's turn it on its head and say, well, if he has been raised... 
What does it mean? What is the power of this? What is the importance of this? This is absolutely relevant to us today in the church. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Let's look at the first point. So verse 14. Okay, let's have a look at this. So first, first of all, let's go back to verse 12. So in, in the beginning of this, Paul talks about the, the illogical position that the Corinthian Christians had come to. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's talking about the false teachers. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. But Paul points out, he says, well, if you believe that nobody is raised from the dead... How can you claim that Christ himself has been raised from the dead? Do you not see that contradicts, that's a contradiction, that these things can't be true? If the dead are not raised at all, period, they're not even Christ, the Lord Jesus has been raised. He's still dead, he never rose again. And what does Paul say in verse 14? If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. That's the first point that Paul puts out. If Christ is still dead... Our preaching, the apostles' preaching, and the Christian faith is useless. Dear friends, many people, many people claim many ways of salvation, don't they? You only have to walk through the North Lane, look at some of the shops there, you'll find people offering you different ways to be saved, different ways to find meaning. All of these are based on fantasies, and delusions. It's a very sad thing, isn't it, to see people putting their faith in things which cannot really save them. Is the Christian faith like that? Is it one other delusion? But it would be if the Lord Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. Let's imagine yourself, imagine that you were Paul. Think about what Paul went through in his life. Paul was absolutely zealous and tireless in preaching the gospel all over the Roman world. What did he preach? He preached the risen, the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. He proclaimed this with great passion, great conviction. Think about the hardships that Paul endured, the sort of privations, the, the challenges that he put up with for the sake of the gospel. Proclaiming that Jesus is alive. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, all of this would have been a massive, colossal waste of time and effort. His message would not have been able to help a single person. Paul would have wasted his life in a fruitless exercise in preaching a false Messiah. And the same goes for Christians today. Anybody who preaches the word of God and says Jesus is alive and claims this, if Jesus is not really alive, then their preaching is in vain. And if if Jesus is not really alive, my preaching this morning is totally in vain. It means nothing. can't help anybody. It's just another kind of quack, cure, some kind of delusion that won't help anybody. If anything, if Jesus is not really raised from the dead, 
then Paul's teaching was not just misguided, but it was actually leading people astray. It was fooling them with this false idea that they could be saved when actually there was no salvation. The kind of faith that cannot deliver the goods, that cannot actually help anybody. And Paul says also, not, not only our preaching but is useless, but also your faith is useless. Talking to the Corinthian Christians. Dear friends, we need to remember the Christian faith is not just in the historical Jesus. We are trusting as Christians in the living person of Jesus. Jesus is the one who lives to intercede for his people. Jesus is the one with whom we have fellowship by the Spirit. We have a relationship with him. He's a living presence in our lives. Jesus, dear friends, is the one who is coming back in glory to take his people to be with him. Jesus is the one who we trust to raise our bodies from the grave on that final day. He is the one on that day of judgment when we stand before God. We need to, to, be, to be known by the Lord Jesus for him to say, this is one of my people that I died for. We believe in a living Lord Jesus. That's what our faith is founded in, not just the memory of somebody who lived. And that's why it's so essential that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, it's essential for us to know that our faith is based on a pack of lies and a delusion. If Jesus is not raised, then none of this is true. None of those things I just mentioned are true. Jesus remains in the grave somewhere, waiting for judgment himself. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, none of the things that he said about himself were true. None of his promises mean anything. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, we are praying to a brick wall. You know, I could pray to that mug, it would do me more good. If Jesus is not raised from the dead... If Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are trusting in somebody who cannot help us. If Jesus were not raised from the dead, he could not save himself, let alone anybody else. Do you see how high the stakes are in this? But what if Jesus really has been raised from the dead? What does that mean? Well, it means that our faith is well founded. It means that our faith is based on reality and truth. And it means that rather than being vain and fruitless and pointless, the apostles' preaching, the gospel, is of vital importance. Let's turn it on its head. If this gospel is true, and it's proved to be true by the risen Lord Jesus, by his resurrection, then think about the messages the world offers. Think about the solutions the world offers. Rather than the Christian gospel and Christian preaching being useless and Christian faith being useless, it's actually the things the world offers that are useless. And the world's messages and the world's solutions are useless if Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. So that was the first implication. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then the apostles' preaching and the Christian faith is useless. And in fact, our church is useless and your faith is useless if Christ has not been raised from the dead. Point number two, verse 15. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Jesus from the dead. You know, friends, everybody hates hates it when somebody is a false witness. 
if a crime has been committed, what a, what a despicable person it would be who, who claims to have seen the crime taking place and fabricates a story for some purpose. I don't know why you would do that. It does happen. How much worse when somebody claims to speak for somebody else who has not been sent by that person? And how much worse than that even is to claim to speak on behalf of God when you haven't been sent by God, when you're not authorised to speak from God? The Bible would call these people, people who do this, false prophets, deceivers, false teachers. People who claim to speak speak for God on behalf of God who have not been sent by God or authorised by God are worthy of condemnation those people will be judged if they don't repent and as Paul says if Jesus had not been raised from the dead then he and his fellow apostles who went around claiming that they'd seen the risen Lord Jesus and proclaiming life in his name they would not just have been a bit misguided If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, these people would have been guilty of a a scam, of a deception on a massive scale. Now, think about the evidence again. These people went to their graves, went to their deaths, claiming that Jesus was risen from the dead. Is it really possible that so many people could have been deceived en masse, believing that that Jesus had had, had been raised from the dead when actually he had never been raised raised from the dead at all. You can't get so many people, that vast quantity of people, believing that if it's not true. Why would the apostles give their lives for something they knew knew which was a lie? Can we really say that the apostles' message was part of a, a big conspiracy to try to deceive people? that they knew very well that Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead. Going around proclaiming to people, God has raised this Lord Jesus from the dead. If it hadn't really happened, they would have been guilty of speaking wrongly on behalf of God. Deceiving people about God's plans and purposes. And it gets even worse than that. Let's... let's Draw this back logically. If the apostles were deceivers by claiming that Jesus was risen from the dead, we can trace this back to Jesus himself. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, I think Phil touched on this last week, he would have been exposed as as a deceiver himself. Jesus himself would have been a false prophet if he had not been raised from the dead. I mentioned this before. Think about the kinds of things that Jesus said about himself. Think about the claims he made, the statements he makes. These are absolutely outrageous if he were not who he claimed to be. If he were just a normal man with delusions of grandeur, who thought he was some prophet, some messiah, and he went around saying those kinds of things, he would have been damned by God if he were not authorised to speak on behalf of him. Jesus called himself the Son of God clearly claims to, claims to be divine, claims to be that unique son of God in that relationship with the Father. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. Think how, how blasphemous that is. For any normal man, or even a prophet, even the greatest prophet, to be able to, to claim to, to forgive sins. Jesus taught that he was the judge who one day would decide the final destiny of men and women. 
once again an outrageous claim to make if it were not true. The Jewish leaders of his time looked at Jesus and they saw a blasphemer, somebody, you know, an imposter, a charlatan, somebody who claimed something for himself which was not true. How do we know that Jesus wasn't an imposter? How do we know that he wasn't just a deceiver or a deceived person? The answer, of course, is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If Jesus had been a liar and a deceiver, God would never have raised him from the grave. If Jesus had been a liar and a deceiver, none of his predictions about the resurrection, his own resurrection, would have come true. He would have been totally discredited as a liar and as a foolish man, like so many others. And if that were true, nothing he said could be taken seriously. If Jesus had been a liar and a deceiver, speaking wrongly on behalf of God, his body would have remained in the grave, it would have decayed, it would have rotted away, he would never have risen again. And then he would have been raised up to face the final judgment like all other sinners who speak on behalf of God wrongly. I believe that. If he, if he were just a normal man, he would have been raised up for the judgment. Think about the apostles who stood on the shoulders of Jesus, who preached his message. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, nothing they wrote for us in the Bible can be trusted or taken seriously. They're totally discredited. False witnesses. And follow that on even, even to our day. If, if the apostles were deceived and deceiving other people, Christians who take up their message and stand on their shoulders are also deceivers, carrying on the deception misrepresenting God in the worst kind of way saying things about God which simply are not true but if let's turn it on its head if the, if the resurrection really did happen then it proves that Jesus the apostles and ultimately all Christians who carry this gospel to the four corners of the world it proves that they are faithful witnesses if Jesus were raised from the dead it means that every word he said be taken seriously and should be acted upon and if Jesus were raised from the dead it means that God approved of him God stamped his seal of approval upon him when he died on the cross when he rose from the the tomb God said this is my son listen to him if you claim to believe in the resurrection of Jesus you should be taking him seriously too taking the words of his apostles seriously as their words are recorded for us in Holy Scripture. Dear friends, I'm really grieved to hear people saying these words, Jesus is risen from the dead. I hear it all the time, not so much in our country, but in other countries. People say these words, but it doesn't seem to make any difference to the way they live whatsoever. If you believe this in your heart, you need to act upon it. You need to, to come to the Lord Jesus. You need to take his words seriously. One occasion, I just mentioned this, God spoke directly from heaven on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was there with Peter and James and John. God spoke, the voice came from heaven that said, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. At that time, not many people heard the voice. However, as I just just said, the resurrection of Jesus is God's conclusive, final, vindicating 
message to all of humanity. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. If he wasn't raised from the dead, we have no cause to listen to him at all. But if he was, we need to obey that voice of God and listen to him. If Christ were raised from the dead, it means he spoke the truth about himself. If it were true, then the apostles were also telling the truth about him. They were right to preach salvation in his name. If that's true, then the Christians who take up this message today should also be listened to. And if this is true, if Jesus did rise from the dead, who are the false witnesses today? Is it the apostles? No. It's those people that deny the resurrection. It's people that proclaim a different way to God. The people who refuse to believe in the testimony that God himself has given about his son. I pray that nobody in this room is guilty of doing that. Rather, we accept the testimony and believe. That was point number two, the second implication. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, the apostles are false witnesses about God. The third implication can be found in the next verse, verse three, um, verse 17, rather, sorry. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. What does it mean for a person to be in their sins? It means that they're still in the natural condition which we're all born into. Descendants of Adam, we all inherit Adam's nature. We have a sinful nature. We sin in all sorts of ways, don't we? Sin is part of our very nature. To be in, to be in your sins means that God still holds your sins against you. Friends, it would be bad enough, wouldn't it, to face physical death. And if, if death were the end, that would be a tragedy in itself. But, friends, it gets worse than that, doesn't it? Because we know as Christians that death is not the end. We don't just get annihilated when we die. The problem gets far worse because we have to stand in front of a holy God as sinful people. People who have broken God's law. People who are under judgment. Think about this. People are inches away, seconds away from eternity. Seconds away from facing a holy God in judgment. And this is the biggest problem you face. It matters far more than your your health or your emotional needs or your relationship problems. The biggest priority is to be delivered from your sins, to be made right with God. If that problem is not solved, it will lead you directly on a fast lane to a lost eternity. And there'll be no second chance. Are you still in your sins this morning? Are you still in a position where God's hand is pointing against you saying guilty? What are you going to do about it? Is is there anything you can do about it? Paul and and his fellow apostles preached fervently that there is only one thing you can do about it. One thing that can be done about it. They preached Jesus, the Son of God, who died on the cross as a substitute for sinful people, taking upon himself the penalty for sin that we all deserve. And Paul preached that those who believe in Jesus, who trust in him, are forgiven of their sins, made right with God, justified, and declared to be innocent in the sight of God. 
Jesus was the only man in history who died, not for his own sins, but for the sins of another, as a substitute. His death was absolutely unique. There's never been a death like it. There will never be another death like it. Other people, all of us, we die for our own sins. The soul who sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. The Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his own sins. He was dying for your sins and my sins. He was a righteous man who died for the unrighteous. But how do we know that? How can we believe that? How do we know that Jesus wasn't just, his death wasn't just a, a, a normal death of a normal man dying on a cross like so many other men in the Roman Empire? Of course, the answer is the resurrection, isn't it? The resurrection of our Lord Jesus. If he had not been raised from the dead, it would have proved that he was just another sinful man like all of us. If he had not been raised from the dead, it would have proved that his death was just a usual, normal death with no significance and no meaning. A death which achieved nothing. And if that is true, think about the implications of it. Then there is nothing to save us from our sins. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, if his death was not a sacrificial, substitutionary death, all of us are fooling ourselves into believing that somehow this death can do us any good whatsoever, when actually it means nothing. If that is true, dear friends, if, if Jesus' death was not on behalf of sinners, he was, just, he was dying for his own sins, then you and I who are trusting in him are going to get a very nasty shock on the judgment day. We stand before God and God says, guilty, you're still in your sins. And he packs us off to hell where we, where we belong, where we deserve to be. That is the reality. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, that is what will happen to us. But, but friends, if he was raised from the dead, what does it mean? It shows us that his death was no ordinary death. His death shows that he was vindicated by God. God proved him to be righteous by raising him from the dead, showing that he was no ordinary man dying an ordinary death, but rather he was the son of God who was dying for the sins of his people, raised to life gloriously as a sign to the whole world that this man is a righteous man who suffered on behalf of his people. Atoning sacrifice. Paul talks about this elsewhere. He was raised to life for our justification. And the good news is, Christian person this morning, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and he did, he was indeed raised from the dead, your sins, my sins, have been gloriously forgiven. Your sins have been washed away. Every sin has been paid for. You are justified. You are declared righteous in the sight of God if Christ has been raised from the dead. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It's gone. It's finished. Your death has been died by another. Your punishment has been taken by another. When you stand before him on the judgment day, the Lord Jesus himself will identify you as one of his people found in him, trusted in him, believed in him. 
But my message to anybody this morning who's still in their sins, who has not come to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness, it's very simple. Look to him and live. Believe in this. If you feel this is a work of faith going on in your heart, the Holy Spirit is giving you the, the gift of faith to believe this. Believe in him. That he is the only means to deliver you from your sins. There is no other way. Nothing else will work. Only one person was qualified to die for you. The righteous person that never sinned. That's what he did. Out of great love, personal cost, sacrifice. Went to that cross. Took the punishment. Was raised up and God says, I accept this sacrifice. I vindicate my son. Come to him and live. Then Paul talks about another implication. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, look at verse 18. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If you've ever been to a Christian funeral, you'll notice that Christian people can face death with a certain optimism. There's it's often nothing bleaker than a non-Christian funeral. I've been to an atheistic funeral before. There was this really, really bleak and sad thing because these people have no hope of ever being reunited again with their loved one. It's very sad when Christians die. We miss those people terribly. We do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. When you go to a Christian funeral, you find that people, although they may be missing that person, They're looking forward to the sure and certain resurrection that we will be reunited in the kingdom on that great day. It's not sort of one of these vague kind of pie-in-the-sky hopes that some people have. Oh, he's in in a better place now. This is a certain thing that we trust in and hold on to as Christians. And how can we be sure about that, dear friends? How can we know? The answer, of course, is found in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. It not only proves that his saving work was accepted by God, but it also guarantees our resurrection as well. Verse 20 says this, But Christ has been indeed raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. We're not really very familiar with this idea of first fruits, but in the Old Testament it was a common practice to take some of the, the, the first of the, the harvest of that year and bring it as an offering before the Lord as a, an, an anticipation, a prototype of the whole crop that was to come. The Bible says that in a similar way, the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as a prototype, as a forerunner, as a first fruits of the resurrection of all believers, all those who've trusted in him. And that means there's a guarantee that if you are in Christ, you'll be raised in in a very similar way that he was raised. You'll certainly be raised because you were found in him, you and I, who've trusted in him. But of course, if Christ has not been raised, then none of that is true. There will be no resurrection. This is very good news, isn't it, for all of us who are going to die in Christ Those of us who in the next 10 years or so are going to lose loved ones. My parents are getting older. Anya's mother is frail and old, weak. She could die any time. But you know, dear friends, we hold on to the resurrection. 
the certain and sure hope of the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because our Lord Jesus has done it for us. We're in him, therefore it will happen to us as well. Tonight I'll be talking more about this. But sadly, of course, not everybody dies in Christ, do they? Many people go to their graves still in Adam, in in their sins, with the, the Adamic nature, not having their sins been dealt with by God, by Jesus Christ. And if that's true, you, you go to the judgment and you will be raised. There will be a kind of resurrection for the unrighteous, but you will stand there in front of a holy God and he will judge you guilty. When you think about this, can you see how vital these words are? Jesus is risen from the dead. How important it is for you to avoid this awful predicament. You believe this, you'll be saved. So important. Final consequence, Paul says, is this in verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Paul says, if, you, if your, your faith in Christ is only for this life, if it doesn't offer any promise beyond the grave, any future blessing, then Christians are the saddest, most pitiful group of people in the world. Why does he say this? You know, dear friends, in this country for many, many years, 200 years or so, we've had relative peace, haven't we, as Christians? I don't want to minimise the struggle we may have faced. Some of us have paid the price for following Christ. Some people here know the pain of being rejected by family friends of appearing foolish you know friends over over the past 2,000 years Christians have died and suffered horribly for the sake of the gospel and lost everything in many cases and that, that happens today all over the world if the Lord Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead if we're still in our sins if there's no resurrection if there's no life after the grave nothing to look forward to Why did these people suffer? Why are we giving up our lives? Why are we laying down our personal desires and ambitions and our sins, which can be quite pleasurable at times? Why are we laying this down if there's nothing to come after? When Paul wrote this, the the Corinthian Christians were making real sacrifices and real choices, difficult choices that had serious consequences. In many cases, this this choice to follow Christ, to believe in him, would mean all kinds of self-denial and sacrifices, rejection and death. The Roman Empire was a cruel place. One false word, and you were finished. Christians have always been tempted to ask this question, haven't they? Is it really worth it? What am I giving my life for? Why am I doing this? What's the purpose? It's far easier to go along with the tide, isn't it? To go along with the world and do what the world does. Why am I bothering with this? If there is no resurrection, there is no life to come. Our faith is futile. It achieves nothing. It's pointless. What's the logical consequence of this? Well, Paul mentions it here. I didn't actually read this, but it's in the end of verse 15. Um, chapter 15 verse 32 let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die 
If this life is the only chance we have to get pleasure and fulfilment, then why not just plunge ourselves to this kind of orgy of self-satisfaction, self-gratification, eating, drinking, satisfying our lust, doing what we want, whatever feels good to us. Why not? That's, that's absolutely understandable if you have no hope. This is the philosophy of Brighton and our country and our world. Fill yourself up with good things because there's no tomorrow. There's nothing else. Look at those Christian people, that little church in, in Viaduct Road, you know, this pathetic 70 or so people that go to church and believe in this kind of sky fairy, whatever people, stupid things people come up with talking about the Lord. Why are we bothering? Why are Christians giving up their lives all around the world? That's the consequence, the implication if the Lord Jesus has not been raised and there is no life to come, no resurrection. We would indeed be a pitiful group of people. We might just give it all up and just go and enjoy ourselves. But let's turn it on its head. If the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised, we're not to be pitied, we're to be envied. We are actually the most blessed of all people. We little group here, we're other Christians in this city, other Christians who are meeting somewhere in some cellar, in some country where persecution is rife. These people are actually among the most, amongst the most blessed people. Ours are the promises of God. Ours are the blessings. Ours is the sure and certain hope of a bodily resurrection. Not just like floating around like you know, Casper the friendly ghost, but a bodily resurrection. A new body. Like the Lord Jesus' glorious body. Ours is the forgiveness of sins. Ours is eternal life. Not just life that goes on forever, but the quality of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Ours are the rewards, unspeakably magnificent rewards for those who've believed. More than anything this world can offer. If Christ has been raised from the dead, our faith is well founded. We have not believed in vain. If if the Lord Jesus has been raised from the dead, that means he's coming back. He will not desert us. He will not break his promises. He will not leave his people. But he will save us. He will do everything he said he was going to do. We can trust him because everything he said before was vindicated by God. The Christian people, death sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Death is not the end. It's not the tragedy. It's not the great misfortune, but rather the beginning of something very wonderful, very precious. If you're not a Christian here today, don't waste your pity on Christians. We may seem pitiful, weak and foolish. Ours is the lasting treasure in Christ. And the object of our faith is not just the blessings of God, but the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's magnificent. He's glorious. He is the prize himself for which we hope. Crucified in weakness, raised in glory. That's true for you as well. If you're a Christian, you'll die in weakness, you'll be raised in glory on that day. 
Lord himself has said it. I trust his word because he was raised from the dead. Pity rather those people who chase the things of this world which cannot satisfy, which will perish with them. Pity those who trust in other things to save them, but not the only thing that can save them. Pity those who bury their heads in the sand when it comes to death. We don't like to talk about it. It's morbid, but it is a reality. Pity those who don't want to face it. They'd rather just forget about it and you know, have plastic surgery to try and look young. You know, there's a song that says this. It's a 90s pop song that says this. You can dye your hair, but there's one thing you can't change. You can't run away from yourself. You can't halt that process. You can't stop death. Pity those who reject the, the offer of life which is held out. Believe and you will be saved. And all these blessings shall be yours. But there's no need for that. There's no need for anyone to perish. Just believe and be saved. Look to him. It's not a certain class of people that can be saved. We're all sinners in this room. All of us are in Adam. All of us have broken God's law. If you're a sinner and you're not right with God, you're still in your sins, you can be saved just as much as any of us can be saved. doesn't matter what culture you're from or background. Christianity is not a Western religion. This is the only way for all people, wherever they're from, to be saved and right with God. We have to face that day of judgment with, with confidence in the Lord Jesus. So these are the implications that Paul gives for not believing. And I've just gone through it really quickly for want of time. But let's conclude with this. If, says Paul, Christ has not been raised... These are the implications. And it's depressing. Frankly, miserable. It's hopeless, bleak. But Paul doesn't leave it there, does he? What does he say? Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Christ has certainly been raised from the dead. Paul saw him with his own eyes, willing to be put to death rather than renounce that truth that he'd seen. I have seen him, he's alive. I tell to you what I've seen, I testify, he's alive. Indeed, he's raised from the dead. So rather than all these tragic implications being true, actually, it's the implications of the opposite. Christ is raised from the dead. That's what you should be thinking about. If you hear these words as a Christian, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, I'm sure there's a shiver going up your spine right now. What a glorious truth. Wouldn't it be sad if we had a dead saviour from history? We have a living Lord Jesus interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father. Once again, I want to point you to what I opened the service with about Thomas. When he said, you know, Jesus proved himself to be alive. Thomas's response was, my Lord, my God. Jesus says, blessed You you believe because you've seen me, but blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. Dear friends, I can't show you the risen Lord Jesus here today. He won't appear in person, but we believe in the testimonies. And the Lord is able to open the heart of a a sceptic and by faith 
make them believe the truth of this, the Lord Jesus is risen. I pray that will be the case today. But if you're not a believer, the worst thing you can do is to do what so many people do, which is to try to bury Jesus somewhere, to bury him away. People do it in all sorts of ways. In history, we say he's just a historical person that lived and never really rose again. We try to bury him in the back of our minds, try to think about other things. We try to bury him under a load of distractions and preoccupations and intellectual arguments. You know, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ will not be buried. You could try to bury him, but he is a real and living presence. And he's calling out to every person, believe in me. And you know, as well as I do, that on that day, if you don't turn to him and get right with him, he will be your judge. You will stand before him, the one that you've despised and ignored. You have a choice. You either accept him as saviour or you have him as judge. I pray that all of us in this room will be those who accept him as saviour. Don't try and bury him somewhere and forget about him and ignore him. Saying that Jesus Christ is alive is a radical statement because he's a living presence. Who do you choose today? Well, I know many of us are believers in this glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus. But if you're not, look to him and live. Believe. You shall be saved. So friends, I want you to be encouraged about the resurrection. I want you to believe in it. I could say a lot, lot more about this. You know me, I'm not a great theologian. But I pray that you will be blessed to remember that on that day when you, when you face death, whenever that may be, have confidence that you also will be raised and you'll be raised to life because your sins will have been dealt with. And God said, it is finished. I accept it. I accept the Lord Jesus and I accept those who are found in him. And I think that's, that's a reason to be joyful this week, isn't it? Let's pray.